Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you all. Uh, If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We have just concluded a a very long series on the book of Deuteronomy called The Old School Gospel, and I hope it was encouraging uh, to all of you. And um, uh, today we're just going to look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 this morning. Um, Some of you guys know that um, I have the great uh, privilege uh, to... Uh, take a, a sabbatical here um, starting tomorrow uh, where my family and I will have a, a time to rest, recalibrate, and then re-enter ministry uh, February 14th. So over the uh, next 13 uh, weeks or so, if you could just be in prayer for my wife and I and our kids. Uh, we've been um, involved with the ministry here of Redemption for nearly a decade, and uh, it's been very great um, so I was just thinking, uh, just so you guys know, because uh, sometimes there's some confusion about that, we, we are uh, just taking a break to rest, recalibrate, and then re-enter ministry. Um, and I was, I was thinking about what uh, message to bring today. Um, it sounded kind of morbid, I didn't know how to, to preface it, because I was reading um, the pastor and author Richard Baxter, who wrote The Reformed Pastor, says, uh, he always um, he said this, I preach as a dying man to dying men never knowing when I will preach again. (laughs) And that sounds kind of morbid because I'm planning to be back with you on Valentine's Day and going from there, but I got to thinking, you know, uh, a lot may happen in the next three months. God may move some of you on uh, somewhere. Maybe you have a job transfer, you finish school, you may move away. Um, There's just no telling what God has. Uh, so I was thinking, if I could, if I could leave one final message, maybe a, an important message that God has used in my life, an f- important passage of Scripture, just as if it were to be, I don't plan on it being, but if it were to be the last opportunity we have uh, for me to preach, uh, this is one I think is um, important because it is a passage of Scripture that God has used in amazing ways in my life, and I thought, uh, what better way to step out for 13 weeks than to do this? So, um, sounds morbid, but it's not meant to be. Let's just read the Bible, shall we? Let me pray, and uh, we'll look at Ephesians 4. Uh, Father God, thank you for this morning. We've got a time to get together as your people with your people. Uh, Lord, a time to open your scriptures and be fed by your very word. Uh, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would indeed uh, move in and through your scriptures, in and through our hearts and minds. God, that you would stir us up to love you more, to love each other more. I got to see Jesus and all his glory and to see us, uh, how we are apart from salvation in Christ. And God, to see who we are truly in Christ uh, because of the good news of the gospel. So Lord, I pray this morning you would work in amazing ways for your glory and our joy and that the good news of Christ would advance from here out to the nations we ask in his holy name. Amen. I'm in Ephesians 4, uh, verses 1 through 6. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is God's word. Friends, the good news is not only that Jesus saves us, 
but that he changes us both uh, personally and in our relationships with each other, both now and for eternity. And this is good news for us. Some of you guys know I'm a big fan of movies, and one of my favorite directors is Christopher Nolan. You may know from Interstellar, Inception. He directed The Dark Knight, one of the Batman movies. And there's a famous line in there where Batman says, it's not who I am, but what I do that defines me. It's a great quote for the film, but it's not really the gospel. Batman says, it's not who I am, but it's what I do that defines me. And we know that the gospel is different than that. The gospel is not what you do that defines you, but rather what Christ has done that defines you. It's not what you do that defines you, but rather who you are in Christ that defines you. And we live in a world that defines us by what we do, right? How often do you meet somebody and you say, hi, my name is Joe. Uh, I work in a button factory or whatever. Like how many of you, you introduce yourself by what you do. You're like, hi, I'm so-and-so and I go to this school or I'm a graduate of this school or this is the job I have. In any given relational situation, it is very common within the first 30 seconds, you know the person's name, what job they have, and maybe even what neighborhood they're from or what city they're from. You see, because we live in a culture that defines ourselves by what we do. I am Jeremy. I am a pastor. Right? But the gospel is different than that. Because often, when we see in our culture, it can be we define ourselves by the good things we do, such as the job you have and the degree you have or the family you come from. But often we define ourselves by the sin and brokenness, our failures, wrong things maybe we have done, bad things that have been done to us, personality quirks we may have, character deficiencies we may be working on. And sometimes we find that we are defined by the pride of our successes or the guilt and shame of our failures. And so I want us to pause this morning and think about how we define ourselves. How do you define yourself? Do you define yourself by the successes of what you have done or what you are doing? Is your identity fueled by the pride of the resume you were expanding on your own? And it could be good things. It could be spiritual things. It could be vocational things. Is your identity fueled or or built around maybe the guilt and shame of your past? Is your identity built around the struggles of your present situation? Because, friends, I want us to look and see that the gospel defines us not in what we do, but rather who Christ is and how he has identified us. This is what the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was a thriving city in commerce, a thriving city of a a kind of a crossroads of cultures. It was a, uh, a city that there would be a lot of trade and a lot of cultures coming across each other spiritually and religiously. Uh, Records show that it it had an arts community. It was kind of a hipster uh, New Testament town, I suppose. And the Apostle Paul writes this, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. 
This is a charge the Apostle Paul gives to the church at Ephesus, and this is a charge that uh, through Christ, the Scriptures, inspired by the Holy Spirit, charge us as Christians to live. We are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. If you are a Christian, this is the charge for you and I doesn't tell us what job to have. It doesn't tell us what neighborhood to live in. It doesn't even tell us what kind of relationships to have with each other. But it does tell us how we are to live. We are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So I want to unpack this statement for us to kind of show how this leads us to Jesus, how this points us to Jesus, how we are to lean on Jesus in our walking, and then what are some characteristics of this calling as we walk out our lives worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Because we can look at this statement in pride and say, well, of course, I am going to walk in the manner because I've been called, so I'm going to walk a certain way. We can approach it in pride, or we can approach it in guilt, fear, and shame to be like, oh, I, I hope I can walk worthy so the Lord will love me, or I'm so embarrassed that I'm not walking worthy, or whatever. So I want us to see how those things have no place in the gospel. There's no pride, there's no fear, there's no guilt, there's no shame, but rather we can see with great joy how the statement to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called propels us to lean in on Jesus and brings us great joy. Okay, so look at this, calling, such a huge word, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I love the word calling in scripture. It has so many meanings, it has two, two main meanings. Anytime you see the word calling in scripture, it can mean both designation and direction. What I mean by designation is, is, is you are called something. It's, it's a name that you have, like I am called Jeremy. I have been designated Jeremy of the Carr family, Right? Calling can be designation. So when the Apostle Paul writes to the church, he says, you have been called. It means you have been designated belonging to Jesus. If you are a Christian, he has marked you as his. If you are a Christian, God says, you are my child. You are my son. You are my daughter. If you are a Christian, Jesus says, you are a prince in my kingdom. You are a princess in my kingdom. You have been called. You have been designated a child of God. That is good news. So friends, when Scripture says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. We can celebrate with great joy that in Christ you have been designated, you have been marked, you have a new name, you have a new family, you belong to God in Christ. That's good news. But calling also has the connotation of direction. So, so you have a name, but there's a, there's a direction, there's momentum that happens when you have been called. It's like, I'm, I'm going to call you over to me. If uh, I'm going to call out in the street and say, hey, the party's, party's over here, not over there. So, so calling means direction. It means a motivation and, and a certain uh, momentum and a certain direction to be, to be summoned. So when we have been called and we are walking in a manner worthy of the calling, it means that we are propelled with a new momentum, with a new motivation in a Godward, in a Christward direction. And this should change everything for us. Our whole, our whole worldview changes if we see that our, we have been named and designated as belonging to God in Christ. We, we've been named and marked as one of God's people. And we also see that our motivations are, are different now in every way. Now, this doesn't mean you have to quit your job and join a monastery. This does not mean that you have to move out of your neighborhood and move into another neighborhood. This does not mean that you have to turn your back on your family and friends, but rather your approach to relationships, how you do life is different because you have a new name, a new identity, 
and your designation now prompts your direction. So the Apostle Paul uses this all the time, and he he says that he's a prisoner for the Lord, very physically imprisoned for the gospel, but he also sees that this is part of the direction that God has for him. And so we see the gospel is one of designation and direction, and we have the action, the responsibility to obey, which is why Scripture says, walk. So friends, if you have been designated belonging to God in Christ, you have a new momentum and a direction to go, and now you have the responsibility in Christ to obey by walking in a manner worthy of that calling. You with me? It's exciting. It's good news. The indicatives fuel our imperatives. The personal character is fleshed out by how we live life. So what does that mean for us? If you're tracking with me so far, you're like, all right, we've been designated as belonging to God in Christ. We've been called. We have a new uh, motivation, a new direction we go uh, as walking in that manner. It's just how we're supposed to live. So, so what does that look like? Scripture fleshes it out this way in verse 2. Let's start at verse 1. It says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, verse 2, with all humility, gentleness, patience, Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. See, if we have been called and we are walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called, you're going to see these characteristics fleshed out. Humility, gentleness, patience, love. Is that true of your life? Can you look in your life and say, you know what, I really have a life that is marked by humility. I have a life that's marked by gentleness. I have a a life marked by patience and and love for one another. Friends, I can tell you if you are operating in your own strength, even as as much well-intentioned as you can muster, at some point you're going to drop the ball here. At some point you are going to not be humble but prideful. At some point you're not going to be gentle but a little irritable. At some point, you won't be patient, but you'll be uh, impatient. At some point, you won't be loving, you'll be unloving. You see, because when we try to manifest these character traits on our own, we drop the ball, right? You see, humility is the opposite of pride. And often it's said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less, right? Gentleness means meekness or kindness. It's not only an action, but it's an attitude you have toward others, Because it's very easy for us to say, well, I can be uh, very kind and do nice things, but at the end of the day, your heart is really hard. Have you ever, have you ever, I mean, we're in the South, so you can't, you can't tell me that Southern hospitality is just purely fueled by grace. There's a lot of pretension in it. There's a lot of, well, you know, look, I'm a very kind person, but the second the door shuts, you're like, man, I, I can't wait for that person to move. Here, welcome to the neighborhood, have some cookies. Oh, you know what I mean? Have you experienced that? I have. Maybe it's just me. You see, gentleness means kindness. It's not only action, but it's an attitude, an unseen attitude toward others. Patience means forbearance, long-suffering, endurance. It means being in the midst of adversity, but not being vengeful. Love, it's a great word there. The, The one used here is agape. It means devotion or generosity to someone, no matter what the circumstances How often do we base love around circumstances, right? I will love that person as long as I get this from them. I will be loving toward my neighbor as long as they don't infringe on my personal space. 
right? Love is so conditional in our culture today, but the word used for love here in the scriptures is a, is a devotion and generosity no matter what the circumstances. It's why the Apostle Paul writes it here. He's like, hey, you guys, I'm imprisoned because of this gospel. I, I'm, I'm in danger for my life by writing this very letter to you, by helping you get your church and getting the gospel planted in your city. I may die for this, but man, I love you guys. I want you to love one another as Christ has loved you. So we look at this and I say to myself, it's like, you know, what gets in the way of this character? When I assess my own life, what gets in the way of me being a humble person? What gets in the way of me being gentle? What gets in the way of me being patient and loving? What gets in the way for you? Often it's sin, it's idols, it's pride, preferences, agendas. It's like Ron Burgundy says, I'm kind of a big deal. If you know the Anchorman movie, you know that he's all about trying to get an anchor network chair and he's looking out for number one. That's not indicative of the gospel, but that's often how we operate in our lives today. So when we look at this, I want us to pause yet again and say, okay, If humility and gentleness and patience and love is not manifesting in my life, I want it to. Don't you want it to in your life? But here's the thing. I would be shortchanging you of the gospel if I were to say, well, here's four steps to being a humble person. Here's five ways you could be more loving to your neighbor. Here's some examples of how you can foster gentleness and patience in your life. You know, that would be really easy. I could get us out of here probably 15 minutes sooner, and you could beat the rush to Piccadilly or whatever. But that would be shortchanging you with the gospel. Because here's what I want us to see. I'm not, I don't want us to look at this and say, I want to do better and try harder. I want to be more humble this week. I'm going to be resolved in the new year to be more patient and loving. I don't want us to do that. I want us to see how we can't do this on our own, but Christ Jesus does it on our behalf. And as we walk in a manner worthy of our calling, as we walk step in step with the Lord Jesus Christ, he will shape us to be more like himself. All right, let's start with humility. The second you say that you are a humble person, you have undone your humility. (laughs) I am humble. No, No, you're not. The second you brag on your humility, you have become a prideful person. But here's what we see in Scripture. Jesus Christ is God incarnate. Jesus is the Son of God. God putting on flesh and stepping into human history, the most humble thing that God could do. We see examples of his humility from his very birth, being born to a lowly peasant girl, being born amongst animals in Bethlehem. We see that Jesus, his life is marked by ongoing humility and love and service, stooping down to serve the hungry and the poor and the diseased and in that culture, women, which was a huge social chasm that Jesus spanned. We see that during Jesus' last days, the triumphal entry as he walks into the city Folks are quoting Zechariah. Behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Jesus was humility incarnate. 
Jesus was gentle. Jesus' life was marked by gentleness. Titus 3, 3 through 6 says this, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Gentleness means kindness. Not only in action, but in attitude. We see Jesus manifests that. We see that Jesus is the embodiment of patience and love toward undeserving people. As Psalm 103 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. So friends, as we take a step back and say, okay, I want to walk in a manner worthy to the calling to which you have been called, I want us to look at the calling of being designated as belonging to Jesus and having a new direction, a new motivation because of that, that we have been called and we are being called to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. And that calling has a character of humility and gentleness and patience and love. And those are things that you cannot do on your own. These are things that you should not try to do on your own. Because if you do, you are missing the gospel. But rather, we see that Jesus himself manifests these things perfectly. Jesus embodies true humility, true gentleness, true patience, true love. So what does this mean for you and I today? If we have a new identity and we are called to walk in a new way, how is this expressed? Let me say to you, the result is a community of faith together. Because you can't walk by yourself as a Christian. You can't walk worthy as a Christian. You can't walk called in your calling as a Christian by yourself. You just can't do it. You can't manifest humility and gentleness and patience and love with one another if there is no one another. Are you with me? I've been through this journey at different points in my faith. I'm almost 38 years old. I became a Christian 30 years ago. And at numerous stages over the past three decades, I have found myself saying, you know what? I could be closer to Jesus if I could just get all of these annoying Christians out of my way. It's impossible. You can't. And if you're here today and you're like, it's, it's a miracle that I'm sitting in a church service. Dude, I'm with you. I'm glad you're here. I've been there numerous times. Christians can be irritating. I can be very irritating. I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. I'm very irritated. I know. I get it. <laughs> but here's the deal. Look what Paul says here. As, he, as Scripture says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then he lists out the character traits of that calling of humility, gentleness, patience, love, We see that Jesus manifests those things perfectly on our behalf, but look how it is fleshed out. He says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, 
Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who was over all, through all, and in all. Friends, you can't, you can't camp out on the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and skip verse 6 that says, one God and Father of all, who was over all, through all, and in all. You you see, community is the context for us to flesh out the character of our calling. One another. Relationships are important in your calling. Unity is a corporate identity we have together. Even the word peace that is here is the word shalom. It means a right relationship with God and a right relationship with each other. You can't have a right relationship with God if you shaft your brothers and sisters in Christ. You, you can't. God's not going to say, you're, you're the one person I want in my kingdom. Forget everybody else, they're dumb. He doesn't say that. It, it's a struggle to be a Christian with other Christians. There's going to be believers whose sin bothers you more than your own sin. There's going to be believers whose character flaws require you to muster up a little more patience than other people who have different character flaws. There's going to be people whose personalities really test your ability to love them in Christ because they just rub you the wrong way. But I think in part that is why God makes us do that together because in our own flesh we can't do it. We don't want to do it. Which is why we have to get together and say we need to lean in on Jesus for this one. We need to lean in on Jesus because if I don't lean in on Jesus, I'm not going to be patient. If I don't lean in on Jesus, I'm not going to be humble and be prideful because I'm awesome. If I don't lean in on Jesus, I'm not going to be kind to that person. They don't deserve my kindness. If I don't lean in on Jesus, why, why should I love that person, man? It's an inconvenience to me. You see, friends, we have to look at these six verses and see there is no possible way at all that we can or should or even attempt to walk in a manner worthy of our calling because if we walk in a certain way without acknowledging who we are called in Christ and how we are called in Christ and how we are to live and that Christ is the central focus of that, if we try to walk worthy, we're not walking worthy. You could be super spiritual, you could be super religious, you could be super righteous, you can look amazing on the outside, you can do some really good stuff for humanity and culture and whatever, and at the end of the day, go home in your pride, in your arrogance, in your impatience, in your unlovingness, and miss Jesus. And that would be a tragedy. That would be a tragedy for you personally, for me personally, be a tragedy for this church community. It would be a tragedy for the culture around us. Because, friends, we have been called by a holy God in Christ. Jesus, who manifests true humility, true patience, true love, true gentleness to us. Because he is a loving, gracious God. And when we look at Christ, we say, that's how I Ought to live, but I can't. Thank you, Jesus, that you lived that way so that I can. You with me? And that's, that's the gospel. Jesus, you lived the life that I should live, but I can't. But thank you that you lived that life so that I can. In Christ, we walk worthy 
of the calling to which you have been called, in all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So friends, moving forward, I want us to think about a few things. First, how do you define who you are and what you do? If Christ is not central, I would love for you to know Jesus. Come talk to me. Come talk to any of the leaders here. We will sit down and help you understand who Christ is and what he's done for you, that in Christ you have a new identity, you have been called, and you have a new direction in your life, in your calling, and a new way to live. You you are to walk worthy, right? If you are a believer, I want us to remind each other constantly of who we are in Christ. We gather together and centered around the word and through worship to remind us and each other of who we are in Christ. We are to repent of sin and brokenness. We are to repent of pride and impatience and unlovingness to turn from those things and to turn to Christ, trusting who he is and what he's done on our behalf and trusting that by his Holy Spirit he is changing us to be more like himself. Walking worthy is not a perfect walk. You're going to trip, you're going to stumble, you're going to stub your toe, and you may say a bad word when you do it. You may trip up somebody else along the way. But walking worthy is not dependent on how well we strut our stuff on the walk. (laughs) But rather, it's who we're following, who we are clinging to along the way. And that's Jesus. Imagine what would happen in your life, personally, in your marriage, in your family. Imagine how your work would be different, how your school would be different, how your neighborhood would be different if your life was marked by walking worthy in a manner of the calling to which you have been called in Christ. I think that good news would change everything. (laughs) I know it would in my life. We're going to have a time now of response, as we do every Sunday at Redemption, a time for us to reflect on who Christ is and what he's done for us. And if you um, are a believer, we invite you to uh, participate in communion. You'll see the table set before us that have bread, wine, and juice. It's a way for us to remember who Christ is and what he's done for us and who we are in Christ and how we are to live as we... um, celebrate communion. It's an act of worship and also an act of remembrance as we proclaim that good news over one another uh, through communion. So if you're a believer, we invite you to participate in that. If you're not a believer, we would ask that you just sit where you are and think about who Christ is and and maybe come talk to us because we want you to take Christ uh, before you take communion. Um, The worship team will come back and lead us in worship and um, There's also a giving basket in the back. If you're part of the ministry here, you can respond by uh, generosity in that that form as well. I'll read this uh, from the Gospel of Matthew. uh, Jesus, um, the night before uh, his death, they were eating, and Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. 
Uh, pray with me. Father God, thank you for this morning, a time again to um, worship you together. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would be stirring up our hearts and minds continuously by your Holy Spirit to remind us who you are and what you've done for us in Christ. Jesus, thank you that you live the perfect life that we should live but can't, and that you died a death in our place, and that you rose again, and that you reign victoriously, and that you will come back again for us. God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would uh, shape us to be more like your son Jesus, God, that you would shape us to manifest the character of our calling of humility and gentleness, of kindness and love. God, that we would indeed be eager to maintain the unity of the body of Christ. God, I pray for uh, each and every one of us here, God, that you would be working at in our hearts personally as men, as women, as husbands, as wives, as sons and daughters. God, that you would be shaping us as a community of faith together, Lord, that uh, the community of redemption would be marked by great joy and great humility and great gentleness and kindness and great love. God, not so that we could brag about how awesome we are, but God, rather that it would be a reflection of who you are, Jesus. God, that you would stir us up to walk humbly with you, God, that you would stir us up to walk uh, not with our chin up high, but, but God, rather with our eyes set on you and with our arms out to grab others along the way. Lord, I thank you for your goodness, and I, I just pray that as we uh, move forward in our walks of faith and our stages of life, God, that you would do amazing things for the glory of your name and the good of your people and the advancement of your gospel. We ask this in Jesus' good and holy name. Amen.